Podo. You're listening to Movers and Shakers, a podcast about living with Parkinson's. The show is generously sponsored by Boardwave, an exclusive European networking community for software CEOs. Boardwave is a passionate supporter of Cure Parkinson's. For more details on the charity's progress around research and its fundraising, please visit cureparkinson's.org.uk. Hello, everyone. Movers and Shakers are here once more making a podcast about living with Parkinson's. We're back in our customary Notting Hill pub. In fact, we're virtually filling the whole Notting Hill pub today. We typically come here for a laugh and a moan, but today we're here for others to laugh and moan, our children. I'm Gillian Lacey-Solomon. A few weeks ago, Mark Mardell led us through the effect on our better halves, and I've now taken on the logistical nightmare of looking at the effects on our families. Now, we have six families in total with between two and four children per family, and therefore the probability of discussions descending into total and utter chaos is high. I'm therefore adopting something of a school mom attitude rather than a touchy-feely, soft maternal kind of role. So we're going to arrange it in three parts and three principles. So the three parts are, first part, which is most of the episode goes family by family, The second part, around five minutes, is one child per family sharing the summary of their family's view and comparing to the other families. And the last bit is all of our reactions. Are we surprised? Are we horrified? Did we expect what you were going to say? And then the three principles. I quite like the idea of the French constitution, liberty, equality and fraternity. So number one, liberty, free to say what you think and please do. Second one, equality. Each family gets the same airtime, regardless of the number of kids who A, exist, and B, have been able to come. Well, more or less equal anyway. And then fraternity is it's all terribly friendly and lovely. Okay, that's enough motherhood and apple pie. Now, which family wants to kick off? The Mardells. Could you give me your name and your age, each of you, please? So I am Lucy Mardell, and I'm 25 years old. Theo Mardell, and I'm 21. Jake Mardell, and I'm 30 years old. Right, now, let's start with your dad's diagnosis. Mm. Can you remember what that was like? It wasn't that long ago, was it? Uh, no, what would you say? It's like two years? I looked it up two on years the ago? WhatsApp history. Oh, did you? <laughs> really? <laughs> I think it was April... It was after COVID. Yeah. It all blows together, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it Sometime either before uh, yeah. or after or during COVID, yeah. I think we suspected it before. Um, I think there were like signs and we'd start to talk to mum about it a bit. Yeah. What signs did you notice? The hands. I think your hands started to get quite slow, like dad's hands, the movement, picking up things, like not shaking, but yeah, just, just slower movement. Yeah, for um, me, it was just very slow in general. But yeah. I, I thought it was just aging. I didn't yeah. put it down to any condition. I think well, we knew something was going wrong like two months prior to the diagnosis. Yeah. We noticed shaky, weak hands. And were you worried? I'd say, I don't know, Dad, you've had like health issues for probably, you were saying when you were 30, you got diagnosed with like high, but quite high blood pressure and things like that. So when we do like family hikes um, and certain activities, like my dad doesn't always join along and you've probably always been like a little bit slower than us as well. So I think for us, like, <laughs> it sounds rude, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, for me, the diagnosis was a bit of a relief because I thought he was yeah. just getting generally slow. But if there's a, a reason for it or something yeah. uh, at least treatable, then that came as a bit of a relief for me. Yeah, I think for us it was a bit like, oh, this makes sense. <laughs> we, I expected something to go wrong, I feel like. So 
That's not as shocking as you would think. Well, and how were you told about it? I think because we knew about it before, we were kind of maybe expecting that to be the answer. I think my mum called us. I think, did mum call us? Or well, I mean, we talked there's to a family friend who yeah, Sarah. diagnosed oh, yeah, yeah, Sarah. Yeah. Sarah gave an unofficial diagnosis. She told, told him that she suspected something was going on. And then he had to go to the doctor. And I think it was April. And I think for me, it was by a WhatsApp message. But yeah, it didn't come as a surprise because yeah. it sort of made sense. The there was lots of fun and almost a relief, you're saying, yeah, yeah. in some ways. Okay. And what were your expectations then? Can you remember back to that? And how's it beans you know compared to those expectations we didn't really think about it too much to be honest obviously we looked into it but I think also with Parkinson's it's so varied it's so hard to tell did you understand that immediately because we didn't at all we thought I, know, oh, I guess one you know here comes one avenue maybe not I, I had know. some quite positive expectations actually you, because yeah. I that knowing it was something treatable I was hoping the medicine would speed him up a bit and I think to some extent it did and has mm. done. I mean, after a little while, he was sort of being able to move a little bit more quickly. So I had quite high expectations for yeah. treatment. Him losing his voice isn't something I expected. Um, I think that came as a bit of a shock. And I remember kind of when I was a little girl and my dad's voice has this like booming voice, you know, especially like you can tell from the radio. And I'd be trying to go to sleep upstairs and he'd be talking to someone on the phone or a friend. And I'd be like, oh, God, shut up. Like, I'm trying to go to bed. But then now I kind of think back on it and it's like you never really realise, you know, if it's something that used to annoy me, I now miss. Really? Yeah. And, you know, I still love your voice now, you know, whatever it's like. But that's, yeah, your booming voice is something I miss and I didn't expect to miss. And how about you, Theo? I expected the normal things like shakiness, just what I had heard from Parkinson's. It's the same thing. I didn't really expect the voice and maybe like how much of an impact that's had on my dad and like I guess emotionally, like how he feels about himself. I didn't expect that. Well, he said on the podcast before publicly that it annoys him that you lot all talk over him, and we mm. lot probably all talk talk over him as well. And and everyone talks over me as well when I don't shout. I've learned to shout on this podcast to be heard. I feel like that's a bit of revenge for my dad, to be honest. Sometimes because <laughs> we don't we have these great family debates, and we still do. But sometimes I know you boys would be talking about politics, and me and my mum would have something to say, but it's just hard to get a word in edgeways sometimes. And then now my dad knows what that feels like. I mean, we were talking about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cheers, Dad. <laughs> and the rest of you, do, do you feel, the two of you, do you feel that your dad's character was bound up so much with this loud voice? Well, I think the confidence, maybe, some of your confidence in, like, speaking in a group when we meet family, friends or something, like, you are a lot more quiet. But, I mean, you know, our relationship, personally, like, when we talk, I don't think it's any different. Like, you're still the same person and, like, in all those ways. Yeah, it's almost a, or in some ways, a superficial but really important change. I mean, for us, I feel, I hope that we can give you enough space to allow you to be yourself but then you know when we're meeting new people or in a new environment who aren't used to having to give him that space then he can't get his himself across as well and that must be hard i mean has your relationship therefore changed i think it's changed in terms of me like helping out more just because i've lived with you over the summer like these guys didn't live for the like for those few months and yeah like helping you write stuff i'm your garlic chopper every day because you have to cook dinner like helping you do the instagram stuff helping you walk i guess in a way brought us a bit closer which is nice we take it in turns don't we like say we're on a family holiday and dad's a bit like slower and behind us we kind of just take it in turns to kind of have that one-on-one time with him we're not constantly having to like monitor you 
but then we get that time when we are with you and you always hopefully feel supported. And that sounds amazing, one-on-one time like that, that you sort of plan. Yeah, it kind of, I don't know, it just kind of happens, doesn't it, really? It is, yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, Dad will take one of our arms. Yeah, you can't have two, two we'll walking switch. partners. Yeah. <laughs> one is most efficient. You say we're your bodyguard sometimes, don't you? And I think it's given us more sympathy for him in a way. <laughs> that sounds really harsh, but um, beforehand his health was sometimes quite a contentious issue, us pushing him to like look after himself, you know, exercise, uh, eat and drink healthily. And now he has a, a diagnosis, a disease. Uh, he kind of has an excuse for <laughs> some of the things or some of the things that we thought maybe were just down to his poor lifestyle choices are attributable mm-hmm. to a disease. So you cut him a bit more slack. Yeah, basically. A bit more forgiving now. <laughs> Can you think of any high points that there have been since the diagnosis? Him embracing exercise has been yeah. quite a thing. I've been quite proud of him for doing that. Yeah, he does his Tai Chi with my mum. They go to Tai Chi classes. Before yeah. you'd never consider that. Is amazing, he's told us yeah, how much he now. hates exercise. Yeah, seen him being <laughs> yeah. enthusiastic about exercises. Very different. And I think what I was saying about the voice, even though it can be difficult for my dad, I quite like that you kind of understand what it's like to be less heard now. I don't know, I feel like there's some sort of <laughs> equality, like equality there. But is he still fundamentally him? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Course, definitely yeah. is him still. But I think Lucy's right. I think it somehow has given him an edge of humility, which wasn't as present before. Of course, he, you know, very <laughs> self-aware, <laughs> humble guy in many ways, but not as much as now, which is... Um... And do I get the sense you take the piss out of him sometimes? <laughs> oh, no, never. Never. No, never. Good, good. Glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, utter respect. Any particularly bleak moments? Well, when we were on holiday, I think you mm. fell down, sort of down that slope. You were bleeding out a bit. I mean, it wasn't serious, but like... <laughs> bleeding <laughs> out. <laughs> I mean, you were like, just from the knees. Like, I could see you were like shaken up. And I guess yeah. that was a moment of anxiety for me where I was like, I don't know. I just worry about that happening again, I guess. And I could see you were worrying about it happening yeah, I think again. So you're right, was... the fools, yeah. And I think sometimes like mum worries or I even worry when you kind of go out to events on your own. I start to worry like if you'll fall over or whether you'll be okay. But also, you know, you deserve to have that independence as well. So, you know, we can't make you stay inside. When you're caring for someone to a certain extent, like you need to get the balance right because you want to want them to still feel like an independent person and you know that they're capable and it's I think it's quite a difficult balance to get because even you were saying dad that some days you feel like you need help with some things and then other days you don't feel like you need help with that thing at all and so you know people can't be you can't be a mind reader you know you're always going to beat yourself up about getting the not getting the balance exactly right but I think yeah it's just about remembering to give that person some space and capability but at the same time they know that like you're there and they can ask you to be of help i don't live in the country so i'm not around as much but i worry about being too caring because i don't want to oh do you i don't want to be i don't want to patronize you or make you feel useless so maybe i could be more helpful or caring but i try and <laughs> you kind of go for the tough love bit yeah. <laughs> how would you say it's impacted on you all as a family we're very close as a family anyway i think we're really lucky in that We always feel like we can talk about everything together. You know, there's nothing that's really off limits. So I think with that, we've been able to speak quite freely about Parkinson's. And I think my dad doing the movers and shakers has sort of started a conversation where we can all talk about our feelings within the family, like this right now, for example. Yeah, I've definitely learned a lot more about Parkinson's through this wonderful podcast, actually. That's been one of the... In terms of our dynamics, I think it's just mainly that that voice thing and... Mm -hmm. 
having to give him more space. That's been the biggest impact, I think. It's not a massive deal, but I love his exercises that <laughs> yeah. he does, his Parkinson's exercises. So yesterday we were on a walk and he'd walked a little bit ahead and we were standing on top of the hill watching him at the bottom of the hill just sort of raising his arms and sort of dancing and wafting around a bit which was quite amusing to watch it's also funny because you know we wouldn't really see dad do stretches before so i think yeah. looking at dad like in a field doing some stretches you're like <laughs> yeah yeah go dad sort of... <laughs> absolutely go dad i like that so next up is simon mayhew archer Hello. simon tell us a bit about yourself how old are you and what do you do i am 39 and i work in tv comedy like my dad and I'm a writer and producer and I did a show called This Country which is still on iPlayer and so if people want to go and watch it. So do you have an amazing sense of humour like your dad? No I don't have as good a sense of humour as my dad. Well that's okay nobody has (laughs) as good a sense of humour as your dad but we shall see. So let's start with something not terribly funny which is a diagnosis. The thing is that nothing in our family is treated particularly seriously so even the diagnosis was treated mostly as you know as a joke really we'd called him the shuffle monster for a long time (laughs) and then we went to my cousin's wedding in australia and it was only because we were in australia and seeing a load of family that hadn't seen him for a long time that they were all coming up to me and going what's wrong with your dad and i was like oh he's just old and (laughs) shuffly and they were like no there's something more significant and had you seen there was something wrong or No, I just thought he was like slow and annoying. (laughs) Um, Yeah, then when we came home, he got diagnosed and yeah, it made sense then. I think mum and I did feel a bit guilty for calling him the shuffle monster all that time. And he's no longer a shuffle monster then? No, he's more of a shuffle monster than ever before. (laughs) Okay, so the diagnosis wasn't particularly traumatic then. Is that what I'm reading into this or was it underneath all that? we're emotionally very undeveloped as, as a family, <laughs> so we don't, we don't do trauma. It'll yeah. come out one day in a huge explosion, but at the moment it's, it's still in the box. Does it come out in the jokes? Definitely for Dad, the jokes are a, a very heavy-handed coping mechanism. <laughs> it's like he's the T-1000, and I like to think of myself as the T-2000, so I'm a little bit more developed emotionally, but still rely on jokes as a bit of a coping mechanism for sure. I don't know if I should say this or not, but I've, you know, I've seen Paul have difficulty standing up. I have a lot of difficulty myself standing up sometimes, and the smile's gone suddenly. And I thought, mm. oh my goodness, can one be that cheerful all the time? No, he's a total liar. He puts it on. Sometimes but that's it's... terribly considerate, isn't it? He puts it on for you, for your mum, for the rest of us. Well, he puts it on for the rest of us, yeah, not, not necessarily for me and mum. Because, you know, when, when you're at home, that's when the guard goes down. And, and I think that's the hardest thing is, you know, and I've, we've spoken about optimism is, is a wonderful thing. And, you know, it's a crucial part of who he is with the Parkinson's. But I think it's important to sometimes be allowed to just say it's, it's shit and it's unfair. It has given him plenty, but it's also taken away stuff. And that's, that's the hardest thing to cope with. In terms of our family history, his mum died when he was very young. And so I think that he cauterized his kind of sympathetic system, which is unless you're dying of cancer, you haven't really got anything to complain about. <laughs> and so I'm not even joking. I, th- I do think that's, that's how he approaches it. It's, it's not as bad as dying from cancer. So therefore he doesn't complain. Tell me about some 
good points about it from your point of view. Well, he's always been funny. That has always been our mode of communication is is to take the piss out of each other and to joke. It was, you know, it's always been a more fraternal relationship than than paternal because he was an only child, I'm an only child, and so we've got each other and not apart from mum, not much else. Does that make you incredibly close? Yeah, really close. I don't really feel like I'm losing a dad. I feel like I'm losing my best friend, and that's really, really difficult. Losing? In what sense, losing? If we're being really honest, he spends a lot of time asleep, and it's not because he wants to be asleep. It's, you know, he's falling asleep in his food, and that's hard to see someone you love. It's hard seeing that happen to them. We started off on talking about high points and now we're talking about falling asleep in your food. <laughs> low points then? Maybe the low points will prove to be the high points if the high proved to be the low. I, I struggle to see it with the same positivity that he does. I know that for him, he's he loves doing his show and he feels gr- a great sense of purpose and, you know, it's given him something to communicate. And that's wonderful. You know, I, I love that for him. I love that about him. But at the same time, it is still a shit disease and I wish he didn't have it. Don't we all? Yeah. And this DBS that he's going to have, the deep brain simulation. Yeah. What's your reaction towards it at the moment? I think I fear it because there's always the fear that something can go wrong. Because he doesn't shake or, you know, have the the tremor. It's like I don't quite know whether the upside will be as, as apparent. Is the juice going to be worth the squeeze? All I can say is that in my case, it's made a huge, huge positive difference. So. Yeah. I would say lucky him to have the opportunity to have it. Anything else you want to add? The one, <laughs> I don't know whether the other children or other partners find this, but we joke about with Dad that he has become very obsessive about Parkinson's. <laughs> and when he is awake, it's very much Parkinson, Parkinson, Parkinson's. And there was one time, I guess a couple of years ago, where... It was the day that Russia had invaded Ukraine and it felt very much like World War Three was about to happen and it was a very depressing period. And he came around to my house and he said, oh, how are you? And I said, oh, you know, I'm feeling the news has just really got to me. I'm feeling really, really depressed. And he goes, yeah. Do you know what they think Putin might have? <laughs> I said, if you're going to make the possibility of World War Three somehow about Parkinson's, <laughs> then I'm going to boot you up the arse out of this house. And to his credit, he, he absolutely went for it. He said, no, I'm just saying they think he's got Parkinson's. And he probably has. There yeah. we are. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Now it's time for the Mostyn family. They've got three huge Mostyn boys sitting in front of me here. Um, who are you all? Can you give me your names, ages and what you do? Hi, uh, I'm Henry, I'm 36, uh, and I'm sorry to say I'm a lawyer. <laughs> oh my God, yep. Gregory, I'm 28, and I'm an entrepreneur. I'm Charlie, I'm 25, and I work for a health tech company. Okay, great, great, great. So, your dad and his diagnosis. It wasn't that long ago, you probably all remember it incredibly well. Was it traumatic, or had you expected it? So I remember the shaking happening for quite a while and clearly like something wasn't wasn't completely right, but the shaking wasn't like debilitating. Well, from, from what we could see, there weren't other symptoms that were debilitating. I know there was the sleeping and the dreaming, but actually I don't think we knew about that so much. 
on the shaking, I had like great belief in statistics. And I remember looking up that, you know, a tremor like four out of five times is benign. And so I was pretty confident everything would be fine. And then I remember you went for the checkup uh, and I remember getting the news that it wasn't benign. And that was obviously not great. I remember that very vividly. Tell me about not great. What's that? I was very fucked off, basically. I remember just thinking it's so unfair, just at the, at the time when you were like coming to the end of your, end of his career, worked so hard, and dad would always go on about all these like retirement plans and what all these things we're gonna do. I mean, as it turns out, we're still doing most of it. So it's not the end, but I remember having this like wave of like, you know, I guess the things you go through, just thinking it's, it was so unfair. And then I guess like all the things, you sort of get over it quite quickly. Maybe that's, yeah, just the, the, the sort of human, human way of dealing with things. Is that true of the other two of you? So in terms of getting over it, I think, yeah, dad's, if you've met dad, you'll know he's the most relentlessly optimistic and positive person in the, in the history of the world. So he's made it very easy to be around. In regarding the diagnosis, what my best friend's stepdad had very severe Parkinson's and sadly died. I think shortly before dad's diagnosis. So I, I knew, I think deep down that that's what the tremor was, whereas maybe my siblings didn't. And I, I think I actually said to dad, you know, I think this might be Parkinson's, you should go and get it checked out. So I wasn't sort of bowled over or shocked. Obviously I was very sad, but I think I already knew deep down that that's what the diagnosis was going to be. Cause I'd seen it from, yeah, from my friend's stepdad who I spent a lot of time with. Right, and Charlie? Yeah, for me, so I remember dad ringing me when he was diagnosed and I was shocked, but I didn't really know the extent of the disease all that well. I was still at university, so I was kind of very much occupied with other things at the time. I remember speaking to Henry afterwards and for someone who's usually pretty emotionless, it kind of all came out a bit and that was <laughs> quite profound. So yeah, that was when it uh, kind of hit home a bit more, but I guess dad's response has really been like quite inspiring, I think. And we're all pretty inspired as children by his response to it. Wow, okay. And what were your expectations at the time? Do you remember? And how has it developed compared to those expectations? I guess so far it's going okay. I mean, just from our perspective, I think that the regime is working well. I mean, purely on the tremor, I think it's better than it was like four years ago. The dreams and the, the nighttime points are worse. And obviously, you know, as you say, you know, we're playing more golf, more tennis, <laughs> more skiing than ever before. So, so, so far it's been okay. Again, going back to Peter, I'd seen Peter who was very badly affected. Yeah. He had Parkinsonian dementia, which I think only affects a small number of... So I, I was kind of preparing myself for the a very, very worst, steep yeah. decline. It's great that dad's been able to see his consultant so regularly and, you know, his exercise and everything. I mean, we are, as you, dad always talks about the Parkinson's iceberg, which, uh, which I think is true because there are symptoms we don't see, which must be terrible, like the sleeplessness. I think when we were skiing, we were in the room next to him and he was sort of screaming out very loudly in the night, which was quite, I hadn't, as I hadn't sort of slept in a room next to him for a long time. It was quite, it was quite scary. There's many, many things that we don't see, but I think dad's been an absolute champion in dealing with it so far. Yeah, I guess like tying those two together, like from the start, the tremor was like quite apparent. And like, yeah, as Gregory said, that's gone down. But I think as we've kind of come to terms with it and dad's come to terms with it, then he's obviously talking about it much more. And then you kind of hear about as as Greg said, like what's under the iceberg. And yeah, that can be a little bit more, more scary and like a bit more, yeah, a bit more scary for dad, really. Tell me a bit about some of the high points. It sounds like there are quite a few, actually. You know, you talk about skiing and tennis and all these yeah. very huge activities. Has it brought you together more as a family? Mine's got to be watched. I just, I was staying at my dad's once and I just look outside and I see the Markham Square just like 
boxing. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is going on? Um, Has so he ever boxed like, before? My eye. I definitely hadn't seen him boxing before. Wow. Um, I, was, I was quite glad not to be honest. I think you went, um, you went skiing with Lucy, my wife, and the kids and did like uh, good money saving on the childcare because dad was doing it. And it was like you were you were let loose on this one week, and um, were having like a great time drinking Aperol spritzes all through the <laughs> all through the day when Liz wasn't there. Uh, I guess this is probably that's actually unrelated to Parkinson's, but uh, I think, <laughs> I'm looking forward to more of this now. You're retired and getting uh, as much childcare as possible. Yeah, I think we did this cycle to to Amsterdam, and Dad Dad completed Dad it. Was Gregory a... Gregory did not did not <laughs> complete it. I had my knee. Yeah, but Dad was on a van move, so he was uh, on an electric bike, and it was incredibly windy. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Kieran in the Olympics where the man on the little scooter goes ahead of the cyclist. So dad was kind of, we were all struggling so heavily into the wind. And dad in a sort of yellow vest was going in front of us, blocking out the wind. It was, it was quite amazing. That was definitely the highlight of cycling to Amsterdam in sort of force eight wins. And tell me how much you raised? 60, 60 grand. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Um, and do you think it's changed your family dynamics or would you have been as you are now really without it, do you think? Not sure it has changed really. It's hard to tell because nothing to compare to the reality. <laughs> well, it wasn't that long ago that he didn't have closer. it. Like, you know, I think we definitely feel a bit more kind of solidarity as, as kids. And as I said, dad's like a lot more open. Well, he's just very open about it, which helps a lot. I'm sure with Liz as well to kind of have someone to talk to about it and everything. It's definitely been a theme of the podcast talking about your plank time. <laughs> and we had we had like a big plank competition on holiday uh, <laughs> recently, which actually dad didn't win, but was in, you came quite close, came quite, ah. quite close to winning. I um, think we were told he did. Yeah, okay, that <laughs> might, be, yeah, might be a mystery. <laughs> and any particular low points so far? I mean, I think... We last week went to dad's retirement valedictory, which wasn't a low point in any way. It was, it was amazing, but it was poignant to see that, you know, I, I'm not a lawyer, but the legal profession is slightly being robbed of one of its greatest minds. I think the, the first line of the family law valediction for you said that cruel fate has you know, ended a great career early. And it, it was quite sad to hear that because his dad still seemed so vibrant and sparky in his speech. It was, you know, it was hilarious. And it seemed a shame to retire early, but there's so many other things that he's got on now. But is that how you guys see it? Cruel fate taking him away? Because it's not how we see it. You've got so many other things to do now on your plate. I think that just, I just thought it was a bit poignant to hear how instrumental other people think he's been and how he has been in you know his profession that it has, has not been forced to but kind of pushed him to retire a bit early I suppose I don't think so I mean I'd, if it was me I'd retire as early as possible I'd stop, <laughs> I'd stop the moment and got the diagnosis and the future how are you thinking about that well obviously as we all know it's a degenerative disease but I think that this is an unbelievable thing that you, you're doing and definitely giving hope to so many especially dad I, I'm positive I think we're definitely positive. Fantastic. Well, what a good place to end. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Now we have the Kathleen Jones. Adam, welcome. Tell me a bit about yourself. How old are you? What do you do, etc. cetera? Uh, I am 33 years old. I'm an economist, uh, much to my dad's chagrin. Uh, thing. No, no son of mine should, should be an economist. There's too many in the family already. <laughs> Although I'm currently at the end of four months of shared parental leave, so I'm more accurately a stay-at-home dad for the last few months. Oh, well, congratulations. Thank you. But quite looking forward to getting back into the office uh, next week. And tell me about your dad and the Parkinson's. Let's go right back to the diagnosis. Mm. How was that for you? It was upsetting. I, I, I don't think I saw it coming, although... 
you sort of did, I think. And uh, I saw it coming, yeah. So it was a bit out of the blue for me. I didn't know much about Parkinson's. I'm sure most people don't, <laughs> it seems. I knew that uh, Dad's dad, my grandpa, had, had had it, and that was my kind of my reference point to go off and... That was a little a, a little worrying and that I'd seen him sort of deteriorate and get a, a bit wobbly. After I found out, I did the thing that you probably shouldn't do of, of going and Googling and looking at a... You kind of quickly stumble on the horror stories. And, you know, we we spoke about it a bit and, I mean... We didn't talk about it a lot, did not we? Not a lot. No. Probably other family, we don't yeah. talk that well, much about well, sort of medical well, stuff in, or anything like that. In a previous episode, Mum made clear that we, we've got quite a sort of stiff upper lip attitude. Yeah, yeah. I've probably learned most about it from, by listening to this podcast rather than anything, anything we, we've talked about it in, in great depth. So when you came across those horror stories from Google, did you stop and think, look, they are any horror stories? Or how did you react to that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I pretty quickly decided to close the laptop, close the tabs and focus on Dad. And, you know, we, we, we talked, talked a bit about it and... I you know, kind of reassured by how much en- energy he had and, and still seems to, oh, he never seems stops, to keep, keep never doing a million stops. things and you know, it doesn't seem to have slowed, slowed him down much at all. If anything, he's been doing 10 new things a, a year since. Uh, Any difference though versus the past, do you think? So, I mean, I, I definitely notice, right, and it, it's, it's things like the tremors and the sort of dra- dragging his foot as he walks. When we walk um, into the pub across the road from you. Yeah, when, when, when always a bit worried when he's he's carrying the pints to the table, slightly <laughs> um, like wobbly in in the hands. But I mean, in, in other ways, you know, not not really at all. So does that mean it's better than you expected it would be so far? Yeah, I mean, it's been what four, four and four, a half years, four years, four and a half years, four and a half yeah. half years, and it it doesn't seem like it's been getting getting that bad that quickly and it's still the same old same old dad mostly <laughs> which is a good thing <laughs> mostly a good thing <laughs> how are you thinking about it going forward then presumably you know they do say often that it's a straight line if it goes slowly at first it'll continue slowly well that's reassuring to hear i have to admit, I, i've i've kind of avoided thinking too much about you know how that far far in, into the future not sure if that's the the <laughs> if that's a healthy or unhealthy way of of dealing with it well, what, what, what is what is probably important to know is that i had a very scary diagnosis when adam was much younger of uh, a malignant melanoma behind the eye eye cancer mm. and the whole family was did, how much did you know about that no, nothing nothing oh, really? mum must okay. have really kept quiet about that yeah yeah didn't so know. as far as you were concerned this was the first scary thing that had happened to your dad yeah, well, I, I, so I knew about the eye melanoma, but, but only sort of in retrospect once it had stopped being quite as as scary, I think. Um, there, there was a scary phase where I was probably quite younger and didn't really know much about it. And then it sort of slowly learned a bit more when it seemed a bit less a bit less scary or a bit more under control. Whereas with, with the Parkinson's, it was sort of... Uh... It's interesting what you said about Googling, because I Googled my eye thing and immediately came across an example of somebody who was diagnosed and was dead six months later. So I closed Google about that. And Adams had the same reaction when Googling Parkinson's. And did you talk about that? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because the podcast, people say that because of the podcast, they talk about it more. Has that happened to the two of you? 
only a tiny bit in that I do talk about the podcast, but I talk mainly about the logistics of the podcast. Um, <laughs> like, oh my goodness, how how are we all going to, you know, fit around the table, get get fit around this table. Um, the, the phrase anarchic collective comes up a lot in yeah, the conversation. Yeah, that's how I describe it, yeah. But did the two of you ever sit down and just talk about your Parkinson's or your health? No, because, I mean, I don't know how, how many fathers and sons or even mothers and daughters do talk in, in that kind of way. It's, it's ever, ever present in the background. If, if there was a crisis, maybe we would. You know, if I decide to have deep brain stimulation... I think we'll talk about that because that'll be a big thing. But mostly, I know Paul is obsessed with it, but actually Parkinson's is a bit boring to bang on about. It's endlessly fascinating to podcast about, but it's boring <laughs> to talk to your kids about. Well, I probably talk to mum about it more than I talk to you, talk to you about it. Which... Oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> what does mum say? We compare notes on uh, <laughs> how, how we think you're doing. On how doolally I've got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I say, yeah, he, see, he seems all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, it's true. We we don't really have any kind of sat down and had a long conversation about it. No, that's all stiff upper lip, is it? It's no. I don't know. If it's it's that. It's kind of we've had this big theme, haven't we, of, of getting on with life, doing everything you can while you can, embracing the positive rather than saying, "Oh God, I've got Parkinson's. I can't do this that, or the other." Yeah, I think it, it is. That is Dad's attitude. Is like some sort of tell he wouldn't want to spend ages, as he says, go, going on about it and much rather talk about other stuff that he's doing, which is kind of constantly growing list. I mean, do you talk about things like cures? Is there a cure around the corner, that sort of thing? We haven't, and I, funny enough, I mean, I write about this stuff quite a lot. Oh. Um, do you subscribe to my newsletter, Adam? I do. Oh, well, you see, that's it. <laughs> he subscribes to my newsletter, so he knows what I, okay. what I think about, you know, the prospects for a cure and stuff like that. So not much point in talking to him, no, really, no, then, he, if you well, yeah, read I, the I, newsletter. I follow him on Twitter as well. So <laughs> I, get, I get all his thoughts kind of ahead of time. About they're constantly broadcast to the nation. Ten years ago, I was having a, a conversation with Adam about something I'd done. He said, Dad, I follow you on Twitter. I know. <laughs> Obviously sharing too much. You seem very similar, though. Do you think so? That's interesting. Yeah. On the basis of what? Five <laughs> minutes conversation so far. We're getting more similar as we get older, maybe. We're growing in, into each other, as it were. <laughs> well, that, that, that's a bit worrying for me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Yes. Has there been any, any particularly funny moments that you remember? Dad will be relieved to hear that I can't think of any, anything hilarious he's, he's done under the influence of Parkinson's. It's not that funny a subject, is it? I, well, it is in Paul's Well, it Paul's is if you're Paul, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. OK, and the opposite then, anything that's sort of quite poignant that's happened? Or? One thing I did find quite heartwarming was after Dad went public about his, his diagnosis, he's always on Twitter, but the, and there are many, <laughs> might be some downsides to that, but the good thing is the kind of the connection and engagement and there's just huge numbers of people reaching out and kind of offering their sort of good goodwill and stories and you know, did, did your friends talk to you about it lots of people yeah reached out to me and said you know sorry to hear, hear the news about your dad how's he how's he doing because there is kind of a lot of affection for him which i can completely Aww. understand are you proud of him totally very evident <laughs> that is actually I'm very very, very evident i'm though. very proud of him too Oh, well, what a lovely place to leave it. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. So, other than Jeremy, that was everyone else's kids. Um, my kids, I'm afraid, couldn't make it, and therefore I talked to them on Zoom yesterday. I'm Tanya. I'm the eldest child at 31. I'm Georgie. I'm 27. I'm Oscar, the youngest at 22. Let's talk about the diagnosis, first of all. It was years and years ago that. Do you remember it properly, any of you? I was in my first year at university when you were diagnosed and I remember 
it like it was yesterday because <laughs> you called me very somber and then in tears on the phone about it I remember sitting on my bed and not really knowing what it meant or consisted of and then I had I think I was in a play that was starting two days later or something and I was supposed to be doing rehearsals and I just got on a bus and came home and I hadn't actually told you and then got back home and we all just spent it was a really I think it was a very special but very sad evening that first evening when we all discussed the diagnosis because we all went straight to the worst possible version of what everything could be. How about the other two of you do you remember what your expectations were at the time? I think for me, I didn't fully understand it at the time. I was 14 or something. I understood that it would be bad down the line, but I didn't really understand how it was going to affect you in the near term. We kept talking about the honeymoon phase being maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years. Around a year later, you were in a very bad state, not necessarily Parkinson's related, but definitely slightly Parkinson's mm -hmm. related. And we were going around a botanical garden and you ended up in a wheelchair and could barely move. And it was that hit us all quite hard. I think we all didn't know that we were suddenly like, God, maybe our even our bad expectations were yeah. they're all going to start right now. Yeah. If this, the, if this is the honeymoon phase and you're in yeah. a wheelchair and a year in, you know, how's this going to look in a couple of yeah. divorce time, please? <laughs> Well, I was much younger at the time, so my expectations were slightly confused. But as, as I got older and started to understand more and more and saw your, your sort of health decline as fast as it did, my expectations were not great at times. But DBS came along and that has completely changed everything. And I think everyone here would agree with that. Yeah, I think we talk, we talk as, uh, about pre-DBS and post-DBS. Parkinson's with you and how different things were because pre-DBS you know we had a, almost a weekly rotor of who would be home and how we could help and if there were more of us sometimes there did need to be more of us because when you were in pain we'd need to take it in turns twiddling we called it twiddling your foot kind of moving it back and forth to try and get rid of your cramps and it was very kind of physically tiring doing that for, yeah, you needed, for a while you needed and, three kids at that point yeah. one of us tapping in and the other tapping out and we were all so so involved at that stage because we couldn't Easy, not be yeah and then post dbs now everyone's has their lives we see each other a lot we talk a lot but it's much more in Quality a happy family, family way yeah yeah true do you think it's brought the family closer together that's what they often say about it I'd like to say yes. I think we've always been very close as a family and we've always sort of taken decisions together, which is very lucky. But I think especially with Parkinson's, you talk to us constantly about it all. For example, last night you called me in the dead of night. I happened to be awake, but we we had a chat through some things that you were worried about at the time. And I think that may be Parkinson's mediated some things you get more stressed about. It's fantastic that you've you've spoken to us about it, but we're we're very lucky in the sense that we we do chat through a lot of these things. I don't know how much more it has brought us together, to be honest. You brought us up in such a brilliant way. Like we're so close to three of us and we're so close to five of us. I'm not sure it really did bring us that much more together. We've always, as Osk said, we've always made decisions together and you've always respected our decisions. We talk about it a lot, but I think it's part of our life and I don't think it's it's changed our dynamic, but it's changed the way we do things slightly. Maybe made it easier for us in coping with things to be so close and be able to talk about it together, even if it's not always with you mm. in those instances. And briefly, externally, I mean, you know, in terms of jobs, have they been understanding people there and school for you, Oscar, etc.? 
when you were diagnosed and well less at the diagnosis time the pre-GBS time when you were so so unwell my job was amazing the agency I was at at the time we didn't even have laptops there and then they started rolling out laptops and I was quite junior at the time but they gave me a laptop and the first kind of wave so that I could work from home with you and really helped me have time off when I needed it or you know I could work later and a bit more flexibly in a pre everyone working flexibly sort of time so they were really good and very understanding there but it it did disrupt things I would have to say I'm really sorry I can't join this call to be able to to help out when I was on duty yeah Oscar how about you well, I was at school for sort of quite a few years where you deteriorated a lot and there were several mornings, for example, where you, you couldn't move or you were in too much pain and my dad was busy or it was just too much for him alone. And so I'd stay home from school some mornings and that was difficult at the time. That is a real disruption to all of our lives, isn't it? Right, let's move on to very quickly then two more things I'd like to talk about. I've got the genetic version, as I've said before which means that you lot obviously have a chance of getting it. Not quite clear what the percentage chance is. We've had between 25% and sort of 60% other people say. How much do you think about that? And does it frighten you all? I don't think about it all that much, or at least I try not to think about it. We could be tested to find out if we have the genetic version now. I just have no interest. I don't think even if I found out that I had it, I would live my life terribly differently. So I don't see the value in finding out whether I do or don't have it. My fiancé's grandfather had Parkinson's. I'm sure it was the genetic form or not, but uh, I think it just means our kids are screwed. But uh, I'm trying to think that it's maybe I'm not screwed. Um, And by the time my kids come around, uh, there'll be some kind of cure. No, I don't think I'd live life terribly differently. Maybe do a little more sport, but I think just live life to the fullest. And I think we all do. I think it's slightly different for Osk because if he wants to become a surgeon, it's a bit tougher. So over to you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I am I'm studying medicine at the moment and while Parkinson's is something that you develop quite a lot later in life it it can be something to consider to think about if the tremor starts for example so it's something I have thought about quite a lot I haven't quite come to a decision on it yet but I'm very much considering it because it may affect the job I have down the line would I live my life differently in between I don't know <laughs> to be completely honest it's, it's something that if you get the test and you find out, then I guess I react to it when I find out. We all overthink quite a lot as a family, though, so I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. any of us would really? do very well knowing uh, <laughs> now. And last question for you all. Do you have any tip for other families that have just been diagnosed? Everyone's just so different. Like when you say you have Parkinson's, it can mean one thing and it can mean a totally different thing. I think from the podcast, you've got a lot more support and it's nice to today hear from different families about how they've been dealing with it differently because I'm sure we all have. I think we're lucky that we have each other but if you don't have someone similarly I would try and tap into the Parkinson's community as much as possible because there are people in the same boat and it's really really helpful to talk about it. And then let's finish on a positive there must be some positives in all of this mess. There are a couple of different sides of it. One is that you've had an absolute flourishing in creativity that we've been able to see and follow you with 
kind of a positive and kind of not. Like we'll come downstairs. I think you might have told this story before, but we came downstairs once at home and suddenly the whole bathroom was covered in mountains. And we were like, do we like this? I don't know. This was also the first time she'd painted in about 50 years. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a special difference in things. And and the musical you've written with that flourishing of creativity has been completely amazing. We're so, so proud of you and all just walk around that house singing singing the songs that you've written. And so cool seeing it from beginning to end, beginning when we all thought you were absolutely crazy. <laughs> you know, you always wrote little poems. Bold but... to assume this is the end. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the journey. But you always wrote poetry, but um, you have zero musical bones in your body. Like, absolutely cannot hold the tune. <laughs> so the idea that you were going to write a musical was just, you know, ridiculous at the time. And now we've all seen it on the actual stage and with people who can actually sing and it's just phenomenal and there's one great thing that I think you do is that you try and laugh about it when you can I think there are there are some times where you can be really really down about it but there are times where I remember I I helped you out in the garden one day and I turned around and you'd frozen uh, and you had sort of lowered yourself onto the ground and were head first uh, in the grass and it sounds horrible but you were laughing so much because of just how ridiculous the situation were you were sort of stuck between some wood and a bush I think and and we had we had to all crane you out better bring this to there now quickly before other embarrassing things come up thank you very much the three of you for this and indeed for everything so we've heard from everybody's kids around the table here have you been surprised by what they've said as you gathered we're, we've not been too talky as a family about bugs as we've kind of got on with it so it was really interesting to know how much Adam had picked up I didn't know he'd googled it and been frightened by what he found so I was quite touched by that and as I said I'd had this very serious thing 15 years before where Diane thought you know we both thought that there was a danger I wouldn't get through it so it's interesting that he'd been sort of sheltered from that. Are you pleased about that in retrospect? Yeah I am actually I think um, they knew that there was something I was having a little operation on my eye, but I, I don't think they understood the implications, and I think that was good for them. And on the Parkinson side, he clearly knows a lot about it from the podcast, etc., but doesn't seem to want to go into more detail than that. Well, I mean, I don't think it's up to one's kids to be, you know, massive researchers about Parkinson's. I mean, they they know a bit. They know it's a degenerative disease. They know that Dad's not quite as steady on his pins as he was, but. Um, I kind of think, you know, luckily my trajectory has been reasonably gentle and I'm glad he's not worrying too much about it. Paul? Well, I think I was, I had uh, a bit of a let off this evening because I was dreading what Simon might say to a certain <laughs> extent. And uh, actually, um, he was lovely, very lovely and affectionate. And, um, and I don't He did think say that, you were an obsessive. He did say I was obsessive, but yeah. it could have been so much worse. <laughs> and um, so I feel I've, I've been uh, well treated today. And I hope that he continues to be so. I liked his time. description of your attitude, is, which is there's nothing wrong unless you're dying from cancer. Yes. Well, yes. I mean, the thing is, because my mum died of cancer after a very long illness, um, that is, it impressed me as being the worst thing that could happen. So I, I've, I've always felt I was a bit let off quite lightly by having Parkinson's, which I sort of so far can manage. And I'm glad that he sort of is able to manage it as But do you well. agree with him that you use the, your humour 
as a coping me mechanism. Yes, but I think there should be research into this because I think, why not? We use exercise as a coping mechanism. We use diet as a coping mechanism. We use all sorts of things. Why not use humour? Oh, yeah. maybe we should do a piece on that, actually. Yes, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Mark? Well, I was struck by the insights into other people's family lives as I was by my own. But in terms of my own, two things stood out for me. One, Lucy talking about the way she used to couldn't get to sleep because of my booming voice and now missed it and well I had heard that before but it nearly made me cry earlier on and also the reflection that I mean both the collective and individual relationships are very important maybe the individual relationships become even stronger and I enjoy talking to them because my voice limits my contribution to the family as a whole more important than the collective so that struck me but it was very touching how your children have grown closer to you by virtue of your condition. Well, I feel very touched, but I think we've always been very close, but it's brought us even closer, I think. Yes, well, they said there was another element to the closeness of your, of your family, which was, was very moving. Yeah, and I'm struck by the way they do look after me, and uh, I particularly remember when I was fairly newly diagnosed, went to this sort of cross between a festival and a party, sort of camping in somebody's back orchard and the way they looked after me guiding me through and helping me do my pathetic impersonation of a dancer yes <laughs> nick as do your boys they, sounded like they look after you as well they do look after me first of all i was rather struck by charlie's comment or was it gregory's no gregory's comment that uh, they heard me screaming in the night and were very disturbed by it and it's that the discussions that we've been having a, make me resolve that I am going to get back, get, try and get this sleep problem sorted out. Gregory's comments about the end of my career, my career and it's, it's, a, it's a fact that it has been curtailed by Parkinson's, there's no doubt I would have gone on for longer, it has been curtailed, and they're expressing the poignancy of it as, as it touched me a, a great deal. They're lovely children, and I'm, couldn't, uh, I'm very proud of them. What about what yours said, Gillian? We do discuss everything under the sun, so they talked about that and about how, I suppose, the family was close before, maybe we're even closer, I'm not sure. I think that's the kind of, I suppose, Eastern European side of the Hungarian-ness rather than the Britishness. Got not in much, a Hungarian. Yeah, not much stiff upper lip, but they don't, nobody speaks Hungarian except me. Um, <laughs> so I would be talking all on my own if I did. Yeah, but the emotions there, sort of thing. But, I mean, this felt like a very different, I don't know, to you as well, all of you, very different episode, this one and the one you did a few weeks ago, Mark. You know, our partners and carers. It felt much more sober in a way, much more serious in a way, but it felt like a real privilege to sit there and look your kids in the eye and see what they say about you. I and mean, the respect they all have is phenomenal. They must have been holding back, though, mustn't they? Yeah. <laughs> of course, we are in a pub, so we were probably pissed. <laughs> You've been listening to Movers and Shakers with me, Rory Kathleen Jones, and my friends Gillian Lacey Solomar, Mark Mardell, Paul Mayhew Archer, Nicholas Mostyn, and Jeremy Paxman. The show is produced by Nick Hilton for Podo. Our theme music is by Alex Stobbs and cover artwork by Till Lucat. Thanks again to Boardwave for their support. Please subscribe to get new episodes straight into your podcast app and do rate and review if you've enjoyed the show. We're also on Twitter at Movers and Six. That's Movers and the number six. So please share the show there and email any thoughts or questions to feedback at moversandshakerspodcast.com. See you next week. <laughs>